Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Oh, no! We suck again! Time now for... Eat out, man! Now we win a kind of fuck all we go to. Dead wheel, I got a boo cool at my back. Overreaction Monday! Mama says that alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth but no toothbrush. <laughs> Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. All right, Sully, good work. Bringing in the water boy. 21 years ago, the water boy came out. Bobby Boucher, South Central, Louisiana State University. Who's the coach of that? Maybe we can get that coach to become the coach at Florida State. <laughs> Henry Winkler, the Fonz, is the coach. And he's he a candidate at FSU. So we taped this whole podcast with Pat. And we will get to the rest of the podcast. But after we tape the podcast, Florida State fires Willie Taggart after Florida State had lost Saturday to Miami in a somewhat humiliating fashion. So Pete and I decided we should come back on, have a mini emergency podcast because Florida state is now open. We're going to do like 10 minutes on that. Then we will flow into the rest of the podcast. So Taggart is out massive buyout, $17 million. Pete, they owe Florida state owes Willie Taggart who made it a season and a half as a seminal coach. Plus they have to pay out his assistance. So we're talking about a 20 million bucks. To change coaching staffs. And if you really want to like go the full accounting route, they paid three million to Oregon to get him. And the cherry on the money hemorrhaging Sunday, they paid USF one point three million that Oregon owed USF from him going there. So this is really like financial malfeasance in one of its finest forms that we've seen in college athletics. It's it's really, it's really impressive. Well, you know, the thing is, there's just not enough money to share with these players. If they these guys start getting deals where they, you know, can make a thousand bucks down the car dealership. That's just I mean, that would ruin college sports. Clearly, there's not enough money. So uh, this game, this I mean, this was early. We obviously thought Willie Taggart could get fired, but but we didn't think so. Here's the thing. You know, I mean, this wasn't working, but it was early. So the bit is, is it fair to fire a coach after a season and a half? And then there is the kind of obvious thing where we tend to see the African-American coach get hit quicker than the white coach who isn't doing a good job. Get to him later. But Chad Morris is still employed. Willie Taggart gets hit quicker. Nothing against Chad Morris. And Chad Morris isn't going to last at Arkansas. Is this unfair? I don't know that it's unfair to fire him now if you're going to fire him at the end of the year. I don't know. You know, maybe you give him a little bit more time to prove himself. Uh, maybe they they make a run and and turn things around. It's certainly 
possible. People weren't going to fire Jim Harbaugh earlier this year at Michigan, but they're down on Jim Harbaugh. Hey, he ends up 10 and 2 and beats Ohio State. They're going to love Jim Harbaugh. Maybe not exactly what you want. So you give a guy more time, but clearly FSU was not going to do that. How do you feel? Do you think Taggart's getting a fair, a fair deal here, regardless of, of, of his race, do you think he's getting a? Do you think he got a fair shot at FSU? An interesting question, and one that's certainly going to spin through a, a couple of news cycles. Dan, I think that I don't think him firing today, as opposed to November twentieth, they they knew what they were getting with Willie Taggart, and I think this firing comes under the old Jeremy Foley saying of the former Florida AD, kind of famously said, "If this something has to be done eventually, it must be done immediately." And they felt like the body of work of Willie Taggart through the first season in three quarters was poor enough where, where they needed to fire him. You know, they were last in the, in the nation of penalties last year. They were they're 124th this year. They were a dysfunctional offensive mess procedures. Just it was just bad coaching if you watch that Miami game on Saturday. So I think that certainly Willie Taggart didn't have a good operations staff, didn't hire a great coaching staff, then had to go and overpay for an offensive coordinator. Now, he was not handed a a ready-made product by Jimbo Fisher. The offensive line was just ghastly. There were significant serious issues, but I think for Florida State officials, Dan, this came down to if we can't be competitive in this historically bad ACC right now with the talent we have – I don't feel like Willie can get us there in a quick enough period of time. I mean, you remember, this is Florida State. What was it, 14 consecutive top five finishes under Bobby Bowden? I mean, the, the number 10 to win seasons are a birthright there. 10 to win seasons are a disappointment there. So they didn't feel like Willie was going to get him on the get him on the fast track to uh, to, to getting there. And, and we can get in a little bit now or later if you want, Dan, and to just – so FSU has a president expected to retire at the end of next year. They have an athletic director who is an interim who's brought over from the academic side of campus who is not a conventional athletic director. He's a placeholder guy, like same thing like Michigan State has. And then they have this like sort of covert booster club where a guy named Andy Miller has really been the athletic director the whole time, which is why they couldn't get a good athletic director because the athletic director knew they'd show up and they wouldn't actually be in charge because Andy Miller is in charge of the purse strings. So they're essentially like, the 1988 athletic department trying to operate in 2019 and it worked for a while, but when it stopped working, it was so dysfunctional. They couldn't get it on back on track to work smoothly. And so I think that they're going to have a hard time luring a high end coach because it is not a place where there's alignment. It's not a place where there's stability. It's not a place where there's clarity. And I really feel like it's uh, it's a really compelling crossroads for Florida State as a program. So I didn't think Willie Taggart did a good job. Yeah. So yeah. he gets fired. I, I certainly, yeah, you, would you like to have more time? Did he just, I don't know. He's getting $17 million. Yeah. He didn't really do a whole lot to deserve the job in the first place. He had a decent year, at mediocre year at Oregon, again, under kind of weird circumstances. Did all right at USF. Certainly had his moments. Western, you know, he's a good coach, a nice guy. I thought he'd do better. Recruiting. FSU's classes under Taggart are in the teens. FSU traditionally is top six, top five. One thing about Florida State, as I was told this a while ago by uh, an administrator, is they rely maybe more than, I won't say any other major program, but a lot of major programs because of their location on fans 
willing to travel a long way to fill their stadium. Tallahassee is not a big city. Now, neither is Tuscaloosa or, you know, a lot of places, but it's also a long way from the population centers of the state. So you need people to drive hours from Jacksonville and Orlando to really fill your stadium. There's probably not enough people just in Tallahassee in the area. The city relies on the out-of-town people coming in. There is a lot of money about FSU football. And if you're not really good, they aren't coming. And all of a sudden, your stadium isn't full and you're losing money and your donations aren't as big and you're losing money. So college sports is a business and you have to fill that bottom line and the head coach is getting paid a lot of money there. And part of what they must do is fill the stadium and get the boosters going. And once you start losing, it's too easy to say, yeah, I'm going to sit out that game because I don't feel like driving all the way from my house in Jacksonville to, to Tallahassee, which is what, two, three hours mm. at least. Tallahassee is not close to anywhere. It's not close to anywhere. And there's just not enough people in Tallahassee. You know, Pensacola is not close. There's just nothing out there. It's in this. It's in the panhandle. It's in a geographically weird spot. So you need that. Tennessee, I think, is a little bit like that. You got to have all these people coming from Nashville. But for the most part, you know, you can you can be bad at a lot of places and they'll still show up. So there's a financial aspect that go along with that. So I don't know what's fair or not fair. Get seventeen million dollars. I'm not gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna break out the violins. I, I hope Willie Taggart gets another. He is a very, very nice guy. Very compelling life story. Very interesting guy. And he certainly had a lot of success as a coach. But let's get to the real stuff. Who's getting the job? Because Florida State, you get the right coach. Any of those Florida schools, they cycle around on who's kicking ass. Okay, Miami's had their runs. Florida State's had their runs. Florida's had their runs. They've all won national titles. They've all put out dominant teams, not just good teams, but historically dominant teams. The right coach goes to FSU, and they are back in the top five really quick. You can turn that around in a hurry. Two, three years, you're there. Who gets this job? Because it is a coveted one because the track record of success is there for any of those three Florida schools. And certainly FSU has a great brand still in the state of Florida. Great points, Dan. And I had a source sort of sum up the dichotomy of where it is administratively compared to where it is as a job right now. Even though it's a train wreck because of the university's dysfunction, it's still a top 10 job, (laughs) which I thought is like such a quintessentially college athletics quote. So I have a full list of a half dozen candidates on Yahoo Sports if people really want to dive into the minutia and the buyout numbers and all the all the the things that go into this. But I, I listed some of these essentially ranked by who they would want more than who will go. And so I would think they'd target James Franklin. He had a lot of success recruiting at Vanderbilt, which people forget. He really jump-started that place from recruiting. I think if he did desire to leave Penn State, that's, you know, it's, it's certainly a place he'd have to look at. And I do think part of the reason Florida State might have fired Willie early right now is because they want to get a leg up on USC. Mario Cristobal is a really intriguing name, Dan. Now, he has a $9 million buyout, 
right now. Is the well bottomless in Tallahassee? Is it yes. bottomless? So in, in Eugene, they'd have to have like a Florida State Memorial buyout park if they got three million yeah. and then nine million. What a nice park you could build for twelve million bucks! Imagine that twelve million bucks from Florida State to take your football coaches. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that, like you could build like a hospital in Uganda for twelve million dollars, right? Like, so I think Crystal Ball because of his recruiting chops and his Florida ties. He's a Florida native. He can bring the Saban model there. There's some attractiveness there. You just have to like, yeah, you just have to put the shovel in the money well to do that again. So, and then you're going to get into like this year's sort of crew of hot power five coaches, right? Matt Rule, would Matt Rule want to want to leave Baylor where he, where he really likes his AD for the administrative dysfunction at Florida State? Probably not. Does P.J. Fleck want to row his boat down in Tallahassee? Imagine, you know, if he could make Western Michigan undefeated and have Minnesota sort of approaching a historic week of relevance, what could he do recruiting in the state of Florida? Matt Campbell at Iowa State is a little bit of an awkward region fit, but he's certainly the type of fundamental football coach that would eliminate a lot of those errors that Taggart made that we were talking about earlier. Realistically now, I think Mike Norvell and Mark Stoops are names that this is really going to come down to. And I'll throw Scott Satterfield in there too. Scott Satterfield just did for Louisville in his first year there for, from App State what Florida State needs somebody to come in and do. So his buyout's $5 million. Mark Stoops' buyout is less than $2 million. It's very, very nominal. Norvell's only five hundred grand. He just came off the big weekend at Memphis with the win over SMU and game day and everything. So I have a few more names on the list, but I think there's your, like, bigger, bold-faced name-type guys and then your semi-realistic guys and then your realistic guys. I think that's the best way to put it. Interesting. I think Stoops be a really interesting guy there. He's not having a great season, but... Mark Stoops uh, would be very good. But, man, I think you dangle that to James Franklin and he's going to take a peek. I love Rule, but is his style of play what FSU, you got to pass the ball. You're going to have athletes. They're all good. You should be able to get a good coach. Well, Rule so style is what Jimbo style was, Dan, you know? Yeah. Like, like and, and Rule's done it with a very good quarterback at Baylor, but it's not, you know, he's not some RG3, the whole show difference maker. He's like a hyper-efficient, really solid college quarterback. But, you know, I, I think rule, pro style, you can get great recruits, utilize the physical advantages. I, wow. I think it'd be interesting. He's, he'd be a good fit. Yeah, and he developed, too. Like, that, there clearly guys weren't developing under, uh, under Willie there. Somebody is going to jump in on this. Like, I, I'm not saying this is going to happen because I don't think it is. But, like, you go to, like, a uh, Scott Frost and say, hey, you want to come back to Florida? Hmm. <laughs> like, we got hmm. something for you, you know? Hmm. You know, I know you love your alma mater, but ain't no players up there. Yeah. We got a whole bunch of them down here. All those kids you didn't weren't able to get, here you go. And I don't even know if that's the right guy. But, I mean, this is such a good job. They've won national titles with multiple coaches. And when you get it, when you're the program that gets it rolling in Florida, again, you are historically good. And and we've seen it with all. And right now, I don't think Manny Diaz, you know, is Manny Diaz get that? Is he that good at Miami? I don't know. Now, Mullen is ahead of everybody right now. I mean, Mullen's a proven winner. He's a great game coach. He's a great quarterback right. developer. And he's a lot of cachet in the state because he did a run in the mid-2000s under under Meyer as, a, as an offensive coordinator there. So... Florida right now, I think, has surged ahead of everyone in that little triangle. But it's not like Miami isn't catchable 
in in a in a very in a very easy way. Very interesting. We are coming up with this list. Uh, Pete did a great job in this column, but this all happened rather quickly. So we're thinking off the top of our head, but we wanted to get to this. this is going to be the the biggest opening right now because USC is not open yet. Although we do talk about that later. Just to point out, Pat was going to join us for the emergency sub pod, <laughs> but you'd be surprised to know he couldn't figure out how to, I don't know, get his stuff working too technologically hard for him. You can only do one pod a day. We can only expect one, you know. That's why we shipped him He's off probably using his new Sports Illustrated credit card at like a bar in Jacksonville right now. I'm just like, did. Yeah, he's, he's lost in Jacksonville. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> anyway. We'll talk more about this, uh, obviously, as it goes, because this is the job that creates dominoes down. Yes. And yes. all of a sudden, your coach is stolen, and then another co- the coaching carousel that we love. We love the bloodlust. We love the stealing of each other's p- coaches. We love the transfer portal opening for coaches. Yeah. We love $20 million in buyouts. This is like, God we can call this the back to the future pod. Fallback. Yeah. Like, get in your DeLorean and, ri- and ride along with us, and Pat will join us soon with Marty McFly and the church tower and everything. All right. Here's the pod. I want to be honest with the audience. This may shock you, but I'm not all that prepared this week. What? I know. I think they all come to rely on my in-depth research, the deep well of statistics to defend my arguments, my encyclopedic knowledge of not just every player in college football, but how to pronounce their schools, like Appalachian State. Latchin. 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 Yeah, well. Ever since this became a controversy, 0-1. (laughs) (laughs) Going pretty good until you messed with me. You tried to name the entire mountain range. You don't get to say it's Appalachian State and then say everyone who says Appalachian is wrong. If you, like, live on a mountain or you live in a town, you can call the town whatever you want. There's all sorts of towns you like. That's not how that sounds, right? <laughs> what if you live in suburban Detroit? You can just, you can call other places whatever you want? Wait a minute. No, I'm saying that at other parts of this long mountain range, yeah. they pronounce it differently. Hence, everyone's correct. <laughs> Everyone gets a trophy. <laughs> there we go. Call, if you live in the Appalachian Mountains, name it whatever you want. <laughs> Is that like the new spelling bee, the pronunciation bee? Yeah. Oh my God, I would be so bad at that. <laughs> Can't pronounce. They throw Wister up there, and everybody just freezes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> situate. I'm always like, if you're, if you're from Massachusetts, you know how to pronounce. You, you can throw the word "situate" out there, and they know how to say it. Yeah. S C I T U A T E. Right. Uh, I don't know. That was quick. Home of Northwestern defensive lineman Joe Gaziano for the Hardcore Pet Podcast he, list. He doesn't want to admit he oh. plays for Northwestern right now. Plays defense though, so maybe. <laughs> anyway, I only got to watch a little college football yesterday. I was at the UFC fights in New York. Getting some blood lust taken care of for me. Hanging with Trump. Me and Trump. I had front row seats. Trump had second row. <laughs> <laughs> saying. POTUS, second row. He, he could have had front row, and they said he didn't want him. He wanted third row. Really? Yeah, it was weird. And then Dana White's like, the third row sucks because you got to, like, move your head. And then he took the second row, and he spent the whole time trying to see behind this lady who was in front of him who kept standing up. It was like a woman standing up. I'm like, that press? I mean... <laughs> Maybe she's not a Trump fan, but I mean, he's still the president. Like, <laughs> she paid for her know. seats. He didn't pay for hers. She <laughs> can stand up if she wants. Do you think he I really knew so. what he was seeing anyway? Like, it'd be like me going to a UFC fight. I mean, it's a pretty simple sport to follow. Someone's getting their ass kicked. I mean, it's pretty much. <laughs> there are some, like, 
very complex jujitsu moves at times, but for the most part, they're just punching each other in the face or kicking each other in the head. Right. He would watch without really uh, like reacting. It was very interesting. Hmm. Like most of the time, you know, you watch some guy get booted in the face and just drop and knocked out cold. You're going to have some reaction. Yeah. Like he's just, him, huh? That blood pressure does not move, man. <laughs> like he just was like, just stare at it. Everyone else. Be, ah! No. <laughs> Did any of the fighters, Dan, like point at him or react to him in any way, like acknowledge him? Only one. Because there's a big thing for for mixed martial arts, and I know this is comical, but like for this sport that three years ago was banned in New York. They only went to New York for three years. Hmm. There's the first time a president went to it. Like presidents go to baseball games and they go to basketball games and football and Olympics and NASCAR, but you know, like, wow, hey, he had been before because they had run a couple at his casino in New Jersey. Okay, I think he kind of knew what he was doing. I don't know. It, the big, the big thing, which I, this is why I hate politics, was did he get booed or not in the crowd? Mm-hmm. So that was like the big thing: is he going to get booed when he walks in to Madison Square Garden, or is he going to get cheered? So they bring him in and. We're sitting there, and I mean, I'm talking to the people around, like, he got booed and cheered. Like, yep. that's pretty much like how America is, right? Yeah. Some people like him. Some people don't like him. Some people don't care and want to watch the fight. <laughs> Probably more of those. But because everything's messed up, people are on social media saying he got booed completely. And then there's people yelling at me because I report that he got cheered and booed, that I was wrong. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I like it when you're there and people tell you what you are saying. Yeah, no, he got booed. And yeah, someone would have a cell phone camera up and okay, maybe he got booed in that section. But like there were people waving to him. There were people cheering. Yep. There were also people screaming at him and all that. I, I don't know. I mean, it was just stupid. <laughs> and then the, then the other side's like, no, he got cheered completely because the Trump's like, it was the greatest welcome in the history <laughs> of anyone walking into an arena. Right. So then you got people going, you're making this up uh. because you and like. This is uh, no, that's our that, problem right now. There are no yeah. facts. There are no like, facts. Uh, Everybody can dispute every fact. And they're like, well, you guys, you know, just the uh, Washington media. Like, no, we're cage fighting writers. <laughs> <laughs> we don't care. The guy from MMA Junkie <laughs> sitting next to me. I try. He's like, oh, some people cheered. So, uh, did you hear cheers and boost? Yeah, I heard cheers. Okay, I feel good about it. Like, I, just, I don't know. So I'm just sick of the bias of MMA junkie. All right. Like I know, I'm just I exasperated. I can't take it anymore. Bias. Like enough is enough with the political bias <laughs> of MMA junkie. Bloodyelbow.com, One of my favorite. There's literally a website, bloodyelbow.com. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. And obviously if they're both mad at you, you're doing a good job, but it's just, I'm not upset. It was just comical. Like, I heard what I heard, man. Sorry. I will say Trump did manage to unify the crowd at the college football uh, playoff championship between Georgia and Alabama, Alabama. Yeah. because his presence, he stayed for the first half of that game, caused such ridiculous delays. So it's a driving rainstorm in, in a Atlanta. downpour. That was I mean, thing. just a biblical yeah. like male and female zebra walking down the street downpour. And Trump shows up <laughs> and the, the security was just 
brutal. So you've just got everybody sitting outside getting soaked like wet dogs to get in because they have every, every you're getting patted down and all that stuff. So, yeah, red state, blue state, whatever it was, everybody was annoyed that Trump decided to show up and basically make everybody get soaked. You and I were you and I were soaked together standing soaked, out there. Absolutely. A hundred percent. A hundred percent soaked. Yeah, that that crosses partisan lines when the president shows up. It's a pain in the neck. I've <laughs> yes. been at a few sporting absolutely. events. Yep. One of my favorites was a Daytona 500, and I don't remember when, but George W. Bush was president, and he must have been running. Maybe he's running for re-election, or well, I don't know what he was doing, but he's coming. Now, you try to secure. It's hard enough to secure Madison Square Garden. Yeah, Daytona? But, okay. Daytona is two and a half miles around the track. <laughs> okay. The facility is even bigger than that. Sure. So you're driving your car in. They've got to search every car. They've got guys with mirrors under. I mean, it took forever. Wow. So we all get there. And it must take there. forever anyway, right? Takes forever anyways. 150,000 people back then would go. Bigger crowds than college football. It's just, a, it's it's Daytona. It's a total circus the whole day. Total mess. It's great. Love it. Love Daytona. But this was like, all right. So anyway, you're like, all right, president's here. They got to secure it. It's kind of cool the president's here. You know, all that. So we're like 50 laps in, and the T- Daytona, if you've ever been to the city of Daytona, the Daytona airport is right next to the track. After the race, a lot of the guys, like in the crew, they just walk to the airport. So about 50 laps into the race, all of a sudden, over the backstretch, you see a plane taking off, and it's Air Force One. <laughs> <laughs> and Bush is out of there, right? And it's like... <laughs> You can't be really uh, incognito with that plane. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we know exactly who's in that plane right there. <laughs> Not just like Delta Flight 6843 heading to heading to Atlanta. So then it's like, wait, all of that so you couldn't even stay for the race? So I give Trump credit. He stayed all the way to the end. And it, the, the fights ended well after midnight. And it's massively loud. And it's no place for like a 70-something-year-old man to be hanging out. But he, he sat there to the end. So. Me and Trump, nonpartisan division. He was booed, though. Get your college football hat back on, man. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm catching up here. Anyway, (laughs) this isn't a podcast about Trump or MMA, but I'm a little behind. So I did not get to see Oregon, USC, or Utah-Washington games. However, I did read about them a little bit. Oregon obviously smoked USC, Utah, if you watch them, both wins on the road. Huge for the Pac-12, which is not out of the playoff chase yet, unless my, I repeat, my UCLA Bruins <laughs> want to win out and spoil everything. I've been believing in them all along. Yeah, There's a really good chance Pac-12 title game of two 11-1 teams. The league can make its playoff case. What do you think? Pat Forty, are the, is the Pac-12 not hit after dark yet. Yeah, no, it was a good weekend for the Pac-12 for their chance to get back in the playoff for the first time in a couple of years. They got the, the two teams that are the best two teams won big games on the road, you know? So Oregon keeps rolling and, and did roll authoritatively and perhaps, well, if Clay Helton's fate wasn't already sealed, that should have done it. And then uh, Utah takes care of business against Washington. So... Those two teams, if they keep going and they end up both with one loss and they're sitting there, you know, and especially I think if you are Oregon, your one loss was neutral field to a good Auburn team where you never trailed until the final minute. That's not a terrible loss. If you if you run the table after that in the season opener, you're going to have a pretty decent resume, I think, and you just got to see what happens elsewhere. But 
Penn State, Minnesota, one of them's going to knock each other off next week. Ohio State, Penn State, somebody's getting beaten there. LSU, Alabama, somebody's getting beaten. Some other teams are going to have some L's, and so I think the the Pac-12 kind of can continue to improve its standing if those two teams take care of business the rest of the way. First of all, it's a little bit surreal to talk about like a good weekend for the Pac-12. Like I feel like it's the yeah, first time do. in like four years that we've, uh, you know, not that we've been doing the podcast for four years. <laughs> good weekends for the Pac-12 predate the podcast. I really feel like the simplistic way to look at the playoff, you can sit around and do all the Armageddon scenarios and everything, but the simplistic way to look at it is you're probably going to have three undefeated teams or at least three teams that are going to lock in. So we're going to give it, we're going to give a spot to the SEC champion and then we're going to give a spot to Ohio State and Clemson generally, right? And then you're going to have that the Big four- 10 champion, whoever that yeah, may be. Yeah, that's fair. Totally fair. Totally fair. Yes, the Big 10 champion. So we go you you go Big Ten champion, presume undefeated, Clemson will presume undefeated, and then we'll we'll go SEC champion. So there there is sort of going to be this outlier spot. You know, I've said since the playoffs started that the biggest gap in sports is between four and five right now. If I had to project it today, and there's obviously myriad variable variables that can come in, I would project the Pac twelve out, but probably sitting in that five spot. Neither Oregon nor Utah has beaten a team that's currently ranked. I don't believe Alabama has. If they have, it's someone not great. But, yeah. like, they're, they're going to get their chance to to get a few skins on the wall. Obviously, this weekend here, Auburn down the trail. And then I do think there is some sort of, like, when you, remember the years that it was the Ohio State Conference champion versus Alabama non-division champion, if I remember correctly. Right. And right. They, went with, they went with Alabama, and I believe Alabama won, won the title after that. But, like, it, it just did sort of show, like, your body of work recently is going to seep into the committee's head and you know what, what you do in terms of how you're beating teams, et cetera. So I really feel like the uh, – what was the term that the old David Bourne used? Like psychological disadvantage. Remember that famous mm-hmm. quote when he talked about the Big 12? I do feel like in the minds of the evaluators right now, there is a bit of a disadvantage for the Pac-12. So I would I would – I am starting with them, assuming they are on the outside working in if one of those teams ends up 12-1. and one. The really interesting deal is if LSU becomes that 11-1 team. Oh, yeah. They lose to Alabama next week. And, and in some ways, they are kind of sitting pretty because they don't really have to do a whole lot the rest of the way. I know that's not where they want to be, but the other would be if Alabama or LSU is undefeated, they play a, a one-loss Georgia team in the SEC title game. Do they both go? Georgia beats them, that's a better loss than Oregon has. And certainly LSU would have a much better resume than Oregon or Utah and Alabama would, because at that point they would have beaten LSU and Auburn. I think that Auburn loss is tough for, for Oregon. Now, the, the committee rankings come out for the first time this week. Who do you guys project they will put, let's say, their top six? Okay. Um, I would say, I mean, right now, I think number one's a jump ball between Ohio State, LSU. I think those two are are ahead of everyone else. Uh, LSU on resume, Ohio State on look test. So let's say you got LSU one, Ohio State two. I'm going to say Alabama three. I would put Penn State four, Clemson five, and uh, probably Oregon six. But uh, we'll see how they do it. I I, I like Penn State's uh, body of work so far better than Clemson's. Clemson with that that sure. you know one point win against North Carolina, they were very fortunate not to have lost that game. So 
that's how I would do it. Again, you know, trying to predict what the committee would do. I'm not sure, you know, other than that all brand names will be elevated. (laughs) That's fair. I, I don't have any, like, searing disagreements with what Pat said. I do think Clemson is the most interesting team, maybe in terms of variance of where they could go, because they were obviously, you know, started the season sort of lodged in that one two hole depending on what your thought was and they've won by an average of like 32 33 points a game so it's not like they've sputtered they had a scary afternoon so you could you can interpret Clemson in their resume in in a lot of different ways they they are sort of have the misfortune of picking a bad year to beat then number 12 Texas A&M who now nobody thinks is really anywhere close to the to the number 12 team in the country but they also have beaten zero teams that are currently ranked after A&M you've really got to like look hard you you could have like a like a pretty good parlor with a debate over what their best win is like was it at Louisville was it was it that at UNC game, you know, it certainly wasn't at Syracuse because they, they've free fallen into oblivion. So I think it's a, it's a very, there are some similar empty resumes here that are going to be very interesting for the committee to have to sift through. And I think none more than, than Clemson just because their success in these past few seasons have automatically elevated them to a point where you assume they're going to be ranked that high. See, I think if this was like week three or four of this, that's when they get a little cheeky, try to like entertain themselves. <laughs> Let's put Clemson five because it doesn't really matter, right? Because it's like, why are we doing this every freaking week? Right. And why do I have to pick between 19 and 20? Like, it just sounds like I'm. Mean, there's many things more miserable than being on that committee, but oh my God. Yeah. Just be like, why? <laughs> what am I doing? And you have athletic directors getting paid a lot of money to run their athletic departments who give up two days every week to go do this pointless exercise. So I but I think in week one, they take all their little procedures and stuff serious and they're going to screw this up because what it, this is about promoting this poll does not mean anything. They say it doesn't mean anything. The next week they redo the poll. So that should be about promoting college football. So they should put LSU one and Alabama two, because then you have a one, two matchup and you add another half a million people who watch the game who aren't normally college football fans. Cause it's like, Hey, one, two. Yeah. All right. But they're going to screw that up. They're going to put Ohio. They love the looks test. They love the looks test and Ohio state is a good looking thing. So they're going to do that. I don't think they have the guts yeah, Ohio State's like a supermodel, man. They are looking good. I don't think they got the guts to put Penn State over Clemson, although Penn State does have better wins. They beat Iowa, a decent Iowa team at Iowa. Granted, it was close. They beat Michigan, who is looking, you know, decent yep. to good. Yep. Good Michigan team. They're going to end up 9-2 and two going into that Ohio State game. And they beat Pitt. Now, again, none of these are big victories, but Clemson hasn't had to do anything. So mm-hmm. I think Penn State's got a better resume than Clemson, but I don't think they'll do that this first week. I think they may get bored in the middle of November and try to shake it up a little bit. Until then, uh, I think this is what we got. So Great point that I, I, I wonder if they do try to amuse themselves at some point, because as you said, these, these people are busy people and they're relatively important people. I would think, yeah, the drudgery of the minutia, those, so that's the kind of things where, you know, if you're the athletic director at Florida, if you are Scott Strickland, you're in that room, you know, when it's 19 and 20, that's the kind of stuff where on campus you're like, you can point to an assistant and say, you take care of this, you know? 
Uh, yeah. Go go deal with this problem. I don't have time. Hey, Steve McLean, pick nineteen. Yeah. Right. Where do we put SMU? I don't care. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> SMU's not get a good season for them. Tough loss Saturday, <laughs> but they ain't getting in the playoffs. So why are we doing this? Yeah. No. Exactly. That's that's the thing. I I, I would bet that there is a there is a level of of impatience that's got to just creep up as this thing goes along when they when they get to the latter end of these rankings. You you did that that little mock thing, didn't you, Pat? Yeah, I did. I did. And you know, I mean, right for me, look, I'm a nerd and I'm a sports writer, so it was it was interesting, and I was into it. But yeah, I mean, the, you you get to a point where you're sitting there and you're scrubbing over these resumes, and there's just not much difference between Team A, Team B, and Team C, and it's it is hard to care, you know, about who's 16, 17, and 18. I found it that way. Iowa versus Memphis discuss. Yes, right. Yeah. Impassioned discussion. Yes. <laughs> I got invited to those football basket. I've never gone. I'm like, hell no. <laughs> Why? Like it would not play, be, play to your uh, skill set. That's for sure. No, I would have <laughs> be absolutely bored. Me making a ruckus in the room. <laughs> Plus Probably all the people who run those hate you, Dan. So everybody <laughs> hates me. Well, that's true. Also. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I did write I'm not a like book selling you out. You're proud of it. I'm not. I'm not being mean. No, no. Just, is there? <laughs> no, they hate me. They hate is me. there an yeah, establishment of any sport that likes you? I guess maybe MMA or whatever. You know, I'm good with the MMA right okay. now. Yeah, UFC and I are, are tight. Okay. Yeah, that's about it. NBA used to call me something like the Prince of Doom or something. <laughs> like you only call when it's something bad. I'm like, well, what? I got to call the league office for comment. Like, hey, is Kevin Durant good? You know, yeah. what the hell you want me to do? What do you think of that Steph Curry? No, it's like, eh, whatever. I'm not here to be liked. Anyway, UFC likes me, so that's all I need. Okay. Me and Trump. You got one. We're good. Yeah, See, we have one. low approval ratings, but we know our spot. <laughs> also in those results, buried in those results, Ducks beat USC. And it was a lopsided affair. Trojans are now 5-4. and four. They finished with Arizona State, Cal, and my Bruins. <laughs> so. They could finish eight and four, but this is not good for Clay Helton. Pete, what is the latest on the coaching search that technically isn't a coaching search yet? It's it's been a coaching search for like for like fourteen months. So, <laughs> first of all, I, I watched a good bit of that game last night. I wrote about it for the Ten Takeaways column, and I would be really frustrated to be a USC fan because like. They have some really good players. Boy, do they have some like really dynamic players. I think Keaton Slovis is going to be like an all Pac-12 high-end quarterback. Michael Pittman is one of the five best receivers in college football. He made some just ridiculous plays. And there were these moments where you're like, oh, okay, they're moving the ball. They're playing well. And, and again, they had a bunch of injuries at tailback. They really only had one tailback last night. They, you know, they, they, Their roster's a little bit hamstrung. But there are these glimpses where you're just like, man, that looks like USC – dominant silky smooth usc and then there were just these like bonehead penalties i mean the backbreaker was the 100 yard kick return with like 20 seconds left in the second quarter usc just strung together a nice drive it was like polished professional football and then they just completely they didn't touch the guy it was mikhail adams when he he ran the other way so where usc is right now is that there has been some sentiment from like the administration above athletics to keep Clay Helton because he's a good guy. They're going to owe him a boat ton of money, just a 
searing, like Charlie Weiss neighborhood boat ton of money. It's not a place that's getting a ton of money from the Pac-12 right now, like the other Pac-12 schools. The campus itself has been riddled with scandal. There had been maybe with them playing reasonably well lately, some momentum. But last night, all that's gone. You can't keep Clay Helton. The the fan base is ready to riot. The Coliseum is half empty. It's just and, and Oregon is now in L.A., pillaging your best players. Kayvon Thibodeau, the defensive end, had a couple of huge plays last night. He's the kind of guy that USC used to get and now is going to Oregon. USC's in the mid-60s in the rivals recruiting rankings. They're just not there. So the the one thing that I wrote about today that I think is, is relevant in the search from talking to a bunch of people the last few days with knowledge of the AD search that will likely Monday land with, with Mike Bone from Cincinnati becoming the uh, athletic director there was that you know, Carol Fult was very much in charge of that. It was not like, a, oh, hey, go find me an athletic director like Dan would do if he had to pick between Memphis and Iowa. You know, this is not being sublet. This is her show. And Mike Bone was, you know, an unconventional choice within the world of athletics, which to people who knew the search really fortified the fact that this is her show. And if Carol Fult had a burning desire to bring Urban Meyer to USC, there were very clear paths for her to do that. She does not desire to do that. And it, and it became pretty clear with how the search formed. When you have like, is Mike Bone a, a better AD than Jeremy Foley? You know, no. Like, I don't even think they're in the same conversational tier. Pat Shawn at Washington State is, is another established guy. Both those guys have strong ties to Urban Meyer. They worked with him either at Ohio State or at, obviously when Foley was at uh, Florida. And so the tenor from the people familiar with that search is that Carol Fult had no interest in Urban Meyer. And the search unfolded that way. Yeah. Interest. I, I mean, that was my thought. Just when they said Mike Bone, I said, OK, Urban Meyer's not going to be the coach, at least very unlikely that he would be. So I've heard similarly that Carol Folt is, is quite hands on on this and has some distinct opinions of what she wants and doesn't want. It's informative that she was the chancellor at North Carolina for a lot of the academic scandal. And I think she sees herself as a serious academic because she is and she doesn't want athletics to be a big pain in the ass and to be a black mark on the school and urban meyer as accomplished as he is would bring a lot of baggage to los angeles so i think being a little bit gun shy about that sort of thing kind of has informed where she's going with this thing we'll see though now as i was discussing with some people in jacksonville okay if she wants somebody with no baggage well who's that in college football you can find baggage for anybody so if it's not meyer who's your favorite james franklin I would think, Dan, that that's who they'd have to go guns blazing for. And it'll be interesting to see how Penn State season plays out because with the way James Franklin has won at Penn State and with the way he has elevated the program, pulled it up from the Bill O'Brien era where it was really wheezing in the in the wake of the sanctions from the NCAA, you know, James Franklin is commanding a top five type salary, like a big contract, long term contract. He's he's done it there. You know, he's done it as, as well as you can do it there. So it's going to it's going to be interesting because at the, at the very least, you know, the, the people at Penn State aren't naive. They're going to know that potentially going to USC is a huge leverage play for Franklin. So but I would think of the people theoretically available, Franklin would be the best. And now, look, if you're Franklin, you can come into an underachieving Pac-12 and really try to, you know, really try to like grab the bull by the horns and go with it. Now, obviously, Utah's in a great place and Oregon is strong, but someone with the energy to capture Los Angeles can take that back within a, within a few years. Look, this is an important hire for the Pac-12 too. Back in the day, Oregon going to USC and winning there 
would have meant, okay, you're a top team. You're an elite team. And, you know, with USC just sort of toiling and being five and seven last year and looking like a 500 team again this year, it really hurts the gravitas of the league. Because, like, if Oregon State is great or Washington State was good last year, that that doesn't have the same national resonance as when USC is is great. So the list I put in my 10 takeaways column this morning was Franklin as a target. You obviously knock on Bob Stoops' door. And then it's some compilation of the B list is Kyle Whittingham from Utah, Matt Rule at Baylor, PJ Fleck at Minnesota, Matt Campbell at Iowa State, and then the the rising mid major guys are Luke Fickle, who, you know, obviously because of the tie to Mike Bone would have to be somewhat of a name. And then Memphis's Mike Norvell, just obviously coming off that coming off that big night is is gonna be the hot group of five guy this year. Any quibbles with that, Pat? No, I think that's a that's a very sensible list, I would say. I do think if you don't get Franklin, there will be a drop-off in terms of excitement from the fans because I think after him, while those other guys look, Matt Rule could end up being a great hire or Matt Campbell or somebody like that. But in terms of instant dynamic impact for somebody who has won big at a big-time program, Franklin brings that to the table. And if I were James Franklin, you know, I, I mean, looking at it, First of all, yeah, like he now has the, all the leverage in the world and could drive a heck of a deal with uh, Penn State probably for a long-term contract. But I would rather coach at USC than Penn State, all things being equal. You can own the conference. You should own the conference at USC. It's much harder to do so at Penn State, as good as that program is. We've got Ohio State, you know, sitting there dominating everything right now. So that's the way I would look at it if I were James Franklin, but I'm not him. Tough playing Michigan and Ohio State every yeah. single year. And and I think some of it, Pat, just to piggyback off that point quick, sorry, Dan, is like, does James Franklin want to live in a place where he can like go out to dinner and blend in and not be this? Because that can wear on you being in a small place like State College. And constantly when you're at Dunkin' Donuts buying coffee in the morning, you are on as the head coach. Whereas I know a lot of these guys who end up in L.A., you know, they go out to eat and they're like the seventh most famous person in the restaurant. Do you want your kids in school being like, oh my God, that's the coach's kid. Whereas you're at those private schools and even public schools in Southern California and everyone's parents are kind of famous in some way or, or well. So it's just, it becomes, I think, somewhat of a lifestyle choice too. Yeah. And you, you want a five-star quarterback every two years, you just drive over to modern day and, and yeah. get them, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, like you don't have to spend your time uh, battling, battling, doing everything. So, and he also, he has that Vanderbilt years private school, academics. That's what USC wants to be right now right. is a little bit of that. Yep. All right, let's get to uh, James Franklin's uh, future is great, but let's get to some people who aren't. <laughs> yes, that's more in our wheelhouse. Chad Morris, whose Arkansas team sucks so bad. <laughs> Mississippi State didn't just beat him 54-24. None of the Miss State dance team members would even talk <laughs> to the Arkansas players. <laughs> it's come to that. The Razorback players can't even get in trouble with Chad Morris for flirting with the dance team because the dance team just turns their shoulder. They're undateable. They all have to go to the movies together. Tough days up there in Fayetteville. Chad Morris is one of the nicer guys that I've I've, I've come across in, in college football. But man, to find hope with what Arkansas has is doing right now is insane. Morris is 0-14 in SEC play. Arkansas has lost 17 consecutive SEC games. They've lost to North Texas. They've lost to San Jose State. They've lost to Colorado State. In the last three SEC games, Arkansas has lost by an average of 37.3 points. 
Giants. So I think it's telling that Hunter Juracek, the AD at Arkansas, did not technically hire Morris. Usually if you hire a coach, you want to roll with him in lockstep. But if you are looking for – if it is borderline, and at this point it's hard to even say it's borderline, right? But it's $10 bucks to get rid of him. Bielma was $12 bucks. I love the stat that I saw a report there paying Bielma three hundred twenty grand a month. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> Think about what he could do with 320 grand a month, and he's working another job. Yeah, he's merely like an assistant coach for the Patriots. freaking New England Patriots. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like he won a Super Bowl last year. Yeah. <laughs> his defensive line coach for the Patriots, the best defense statistically, like one of the greatest defense in history so far. We'll see. But, yeah, it's going all right for uh, for Brett. Yeah. And he, and he, he, we no longer can really make fun of him on the podcast. <laughs> you think he podcast comes home and he's like, hey, Jen. Hey, Jen, did that check come from uh, Fayetteville today? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I bet he does like a little dance, like a little like. <laughs> well, I said I'd have no stats and I don't, but Sully gave me this one. Mississippi State on Saturday ran for more yards against Arkansas on the ground in the first half. 312 yards. In the first half? 312 in the first half. That's more than they had in any other game, oh, full game God. this season. Finished with a school record, 460 rushing yards, 640 total yards. That's a lot of yards. Although UMass let Liberty gain 730 total on them. <laughs> Your team, Good man. God. Again, the lack of Wetzel support clearly showing. Clearly showing. To piggyback on the inane stats, Boston College ran for 496 yards against Syracuse. There's some kids quitting right now. There, there are some are. players. There team are. decision but, to not tackle somewhere in the middle of the second yeah, quarter. Yeah. As I there watched. are a lot of kids out there just going, yeah, maybe I'll tackle, maybe I won't. <laughs> we ain't going anywhere. And there's that whole bit where, te- you know, they always think teams want to play so they get the bowl trip. They want to get the bowl. Oh, keep winning. You'll get a bowl trip. They're like, hell no. It's three more practices with this guy I hate. Yeah, right. <laughs> three more weeks of practice. Like, no bowl. Yeah. I get to go to Shreveport, and this guy's going to yell at me all December, or do I get to chill out? <laughs> That's right. Like, no, it's I, nice I can go here. home and have a legitimate Christmas break, or I can yeah. be here, you know, yeah. working scout teams so that we're ready for Louisiana Tech for the, the, in the bowl. Yeah, game. the heart of <laughs> Dallas Bowl. You know, like, I don't want to go to that. Yeah. It's three weeks of practice, great. Yeah. But here's the, I mean, Arkansas fans care deeply. They they have a great fan base. They may be a bit irrational as far as where they think they should be in the firmament, but to sit there in your last two home games and watch yourself lose by 41 to Auburn and then, to me, much worse, lose by 30 to Mississippi State, that's where you snap. If they hadn't already snapped, I, I I think they're snapping. And there was I did see something on Twitter where a woman called in post game radio show in Little Rock. A woman, a female, called in impassionate plea to hire Art Bryles. So that that's where we oh. are in in Woo, well, Woo Pig Suey. Go that that brings Bobby P back in the sure, mix. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> yes, that brings Hugh Freeze into the mix. <laughs> yeah. And then you just gather up your chicken and Walmart money and go get go get uh, Gus down at Auburn. Yeah. You get a second crack at this egg. Try again. We need to start a super pack for bandit coaches to get them back <laughs> in coaching so we can talk pack. about them on the podcast. This nice guy not allowed to flirt with the cheerleader act is not working. <laughs> we need some down and dirty. Uh, we need some rogue. Let's, we, need, we need some rogue back in there. Arkansas. Like, whoa, you guys want to date someone your own age that you're not paying? <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. That's my kind of coach. 
So <laughs> if you want to date someone your own age that you're not paying. We can call uh, it the, the neck brace secret super pack. And we can like God. we can use it to pay off buyouts at schools so then they can afford to hire bandit coaches. Just for you the know? sake yeah. that we can talk about them on the podcast. Can you imagine Coach, what our podcast ratings nice. would be if we could talk about Bobby Petrino every week? Our podcast yeah. listenership would be down with donating to that super pack. Yeah, no I, question. I, I believe yeah. No question. Get Bobby P back. Gee, Coach, she seems nice. She's a sophomore. She's stu- What are you doing, Nate? What? <laughs> sophomore? Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We're going to be all over Arkansas, baby. Oh, yeah. I got one news of the weird here, uh, Animal Kingdom thing. Yep. Animal Kingdom got one uh, got one over on us, on us humans. The battle for supremacy. We lost a soldier. <laughs> Indiana woman was found dead Wednesday. But I got to say, uh, risky. She she was found dead uh, with a snake wrapped around her neck inside <laughs> her own home. God. Okay, now this is not good. No, it's, it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> Eight-foot rectulated python wrapped around her neck i don't know what reculated mean but that's what it was doing reticulated reticulated okay. see i can't say it sounds like appellation <laughs> sounds like deadly but what the police found was this woman had 140 snakes in the home oh my god where She's is living this? alone what town with in indiana battleground mm, okay oh boy yeah it's right next to hickory <laughs> tippecanoe township okay all right that's uh Oh yeah, it's out there. I think that's. I think oh, it's not far from West Lafayette, just north of West Lafayette. Yeah, yeah. So you know, well, they got a golf course. I'm looking at the Google Maps. Huh. Tell uh, Jeff Brom to to keep his players clear of the of Snake City up there. <laughs> Who do you blame for the death? This woman <laughs> was, was trying to corral 120. Do we consider her dumb for living alone with 120 snakes? Like this was inevitable. Something's crawling into bed with you eventually. <laughs> Or do we applaud her service? She was really smart. She wasn't dumb. I think it was, you know, it was wise. Yeah. Imagine all the people she's fending off. Like she's fending <laughs> off, saving the rest of us from these other snakes. That's it. Yeah. I hate snakes, okay. by the way. Oh, <laughs> like hate them. I don't know how. I don't know how you live with them. Oh, well, yeah. That, that would not be my pet of choice. I'm not nope. like vehemently opposed to snakes. They don't like freak me out or anything. But if you live with 140 of them, you know. That's, I mean, you got to love the snake, but then the snake does what the snakes do. Yeah, right. That's the thing, right? Isn't that there's there's that uh, there's a there's a Aesop's fable or something about that. Some some animal trusts the snake, and the snake ends up you know killing it because that's what snakes do. So she went down. Said she sounds like a potential Darwin Award winner to me. <laughs> we really we really crossed the gamut today when you get an Aesop's fable drop in the podcast. <laughs> so. Yeah, wow. We also have a little crime and punishment. I'm a fan of this guy. He is yet to be caught. So uh, a Missouri man robbed a laundromat, <laughs> stole 600 bucks from the vending machine at the laundromat in Crystal City, Missouri, just south, 35 miles southwest of Louisiana. He was caught on the surveillance camera wearing a T-shirt that says, it's not a crime unless you get caught. <laughs> And he hadn't been caught, so hey, has not been caught. Hey, man, that's like calling your shot. I, I'm impressed. Yeah, taunting. Can we dial in on the logistics of stealing six hundred dollars from a laundromat? Because I would have to assume it's important, <laughs> right? Like, was he wearing parachute yeah. pants or like? Oh, you got to bring your laundry basket. Six hundred dollars laundry basket is just to weigh a lot. Like I, I, fifteen I pounds. Yeah, roughly fifteen pounds. That, that amount of change. Oh, the news here is all KSDK is all TV is all over this thing. Good job. 
15 pounds worth of change. It also costs $1,300 in damage to the vending machine. Ain't that the thing, right? Yeah. Cost twice as much in damage <laughs> than the actual quarters. Anyway, the Crystal City police are not happy. You can give him a call if you know anything about this. They have dubbed him the Twin City Coin Laundry Thief. I guess that was the place, the Twin City. Anyway, there's a picture. He's got a little, yeah, it's like one of our listeners. I like that dude. He's not quite the beer like- bandit, you know, that, that took the five cases. But but I like a guy that has the uh, the stones to wear that shirt while committing a crime. That's That's impressive. Yeah taunting the police and we don't know what he did with the 600 he might have gone and bought beer <laughs> that's true that's so, true you know i don't like liquor stores getting robbed because i patronize liquor stores i used to patronize laundromats too you know i you know i'm not in favor of these crimes but you know what i mean good job hello record book hello small sample heisman how about that pat 40 who won the heisman Small sample Heisman this week. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with what I saw in front of me, uh, which was the cocktail party, Georgia, Florida. Good game. Great scene. Fantastic scene. I'm going with Jake Fromm because this is a guy who come under a lot of heat in the last, say, month because Georgia has not been very good on offense and his numbers had slipped. And meanwhile, the guy who was his backup, has gone to Ohio State and is tearing up America. And a lot of Georgia fans have been in this mode of, oh, my gosh, we backed the wrong horse. We went with Jake Fromm and we should have gone with Justin Fields. And, you know, maybe there's there's some legitimacy to that, although I think the, 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 the decision to go with Jake Fromm was 100% supportable at the time. And I still think he's a very good quarterback. Anyway, he played really well. 12 out of 18 third down conversions against a good Florida defense. A lot of them third and longs, and he made big play after big play after big play. The the embrace between he and uh, Kirby Smart afterwards was pretty illustrative of those guys had been feeling some heat, and they really needed that big victory. Fromm's a good guy, carries himself really well. It was obvious that he had felt a lot of pressure and needed a, a big game and had it. So Jake Fromm, small sample Heisman. Pete, who won the small sample Heisman? I'm going to go with what, what I referenced a little bit earlier. I did not see a better individual performance yesterday than BC's A.J. Dillon. 35 carries, 242 yards, three touchdowns. And it's always entertaining to watch him, like, break the will of a program. And basically that's what he did. He had just guys waving at him by the second quarter, and he, he, he scrunched it down uh, Syracuse's throat. So from 10 wins last year, Syracuse is now three and six and generally hopeless. And uh, A.J. Dillon chiseled in their epitaph a little bit yesterday. All right. My small sample Heisman's going to North Texas quarterback Mason Fine. 52-26 win over UTEP. My beloved UTEP Miners, the late Texas Western Miners, now UTEP. Well, it's always been UTEP. Huge game for Fine. He had seven touchdown passes. 332 yards. He now has over 12,000 career passing yards. Interesting QB, not getting a lot of attention. Even better, he showed up at the post-game press conference in his Tyrannosaurus Rex Halloween costume, which is allowed when you've thrown seven touchdown passes. So the kid's got a sense of humor. He's not taking himself too seriously. And he got an extra use out of that pretty good-looking costume, if you want to look it up. So Mason Fine, congratulations. You get the Heisman. All right, we've said a lot of mean things on this podcast as normal. Can we say something nice? Are we capable? Pete Thamel, say something nice. 
I'm going to say something nice about Brian Kelly. Obviously, Notre Dame had an epically bad loss at Michigan in the rain the other night. And uh, Notre Dame had a lot working against him. I thought the hit of the day yesterday was the Virginia Tech linebacker dislodged the ball at the goal line, which led to a 98-yard kick return for – I'm sorry, fumble return for for Virginia Tech, which took a game that should have been 21-7 at the half and all of a sudden made it 14-14. I thought Notre Dame had – reasons to fold considering their past performance and they came out give credit to Ian Book they executed an 18 play 89 yard drive that culminated on a seven yard run TD run on third and goal gutsy call by Chip Long eked out a 21-20 win against Virginia Tech I felt like the backlash against Brian Kelly was a little bit ridiculous considering the body of work the past few years at Notre Dame. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something nice about Brian Kelly uh, having the Irish bounce back, and they're in line for their third straight 10-win season. I'm going to say something nice about the American Athletic Conference. It's been a good year in that league. It's been a fun year. They've, they've had a lot of teams playing well, some exciting games, and there were two really exciting games Saturday, one that everybody saw coming, the centerpiece game between Memphis and SMU that got game day into town there. Turned Beale Street into a big party, even bigger than usual. That was cool. Memphis looked great. They've got great skill players, and they've got some dudes on the defensive line. They they have some players there right now. And then the other game nobody saw coming as a thriller was Cincinnati against East Carolina. East Carolina's been way down, winless in the league, but pushed the Bearcats to the brink. Cincinnati wins on a field goal on the last play and keeps itself in alive, at least, for potential New Year's Six Bowl. So you look right now, Cincinnati's 7-1, UCF is 7-2, Navy is 7-1, Memphis is 8-1, SMU is 8-1, Tulane's going to bowl game for the second year in a row for the first time since like 1969-70. There's a lot to watch in the AAC. Sometimes we we don't pay attention to teams outside the Power Five, but that league deserves a little something nice. Hmm, good. All right, I'm going to say something nice about Utah State football. They got absolutely punked by BYU Saturday. Wasn't a very good game. That's not a vintage year for for, uh, the Aggies. But before the game, in conjunction with the Utah Pork Association, they handed out 200 pounds of bacon to fans who came by to get some. Now, as far as I'm concerned, that makes you a winner. Because when you're just handing out bacon at a tailgate, good things are happening. We really don't care if you lose. Everything's better with bacon, right? including getting your ass kicked. They handed out bacon at UMass games. They might have a crowd. You never know. (laughs) You're never not happy without bacon. So good job, Utah State. I've seen a lot of promos through the years. But this one, and they they announced it by just putting in all caps, free bacon, and then three (laughs) bacon emojis. Nothing attracts a crowd like free bacon. Great announcement. We'll be handing out 200 pounds of all caps, free bacon, the game Saturday, courtesy of Utah Pork Producers. What's the logistics of that? Like, <laughs> like, like having a bucket? Like, no, they have bucket. I, I went, I tried to find out. I, I actually tried to find out. Not good coverage on what happened, how the bacon gets handed out. But apparently, you can go just get your slabs. Okay. Uh, it seems to be. I don't know. And, and the bacon in the picture is already cooked. But I know that's probably not the case. I think they just didn't have art of the uncooked bacon. But I think BLTs for everybody at the at the tailgate that week. Hey. I don't know. I I would back up the uh, the family truckster with the with the frying pan and be ready to cook my bacon if they're giving it away free. Absolutely, let's do it. Yeah. Weird was the game was at eight p.m. too, so this wasn't like bacon and egg thing. Like you know, 
just, I don't know. They just, they're handing out bacon. I'm happy. I'm going to say, I don't know. I have a lot nice to say, but I can't, I cannot fault Utah State for that. Not a good team, but tremendous promo. So that's what we got. All right. We'll be back Wednesday. Big weekend coming up, including LSU at Alabama. We'll talk a lot of that and everything else on Wednesday. Please share this podcast on social media. Tell your friends and all that. Leave nice reviews. We will talk to you 